0: No purchase necessary. Voight were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: We didn't know that what we were going to be trying or doing or what Robbie needed from us in exactly the same way that I would. In that sense, it's, it's kind of like when you have a stay-at-home parent and a parent that's working. Um, but there's friction in that. And there's guilt on both sides in that.
2: music. Places, everybody places. We're starting in three, two.
3: Welcome to the Autoimmune Hour, where we look at the rise of autoimmune disorders. I've brought together top experts that range from doctors, specialists, nutritionists, researchers, and even those recovering from autoimmune to bring you the latest, most up-to-date information about autoimmunity and how to live your life uninterrupted.
2: Thank you for joining us here on the Autoimmune Hour with Sharon Saylor. Always seek sound legal, medical, and or professional advice regarding any problems, conditions, and any of the recommendations you see, hear, or read here on the Autoimmune Hour, Understanding Autoimmune, and Life Interrupted Radio. And we don't want you to worry about taking too many notes, so you can join the Autoimmune Hour's Courage Club, and we'll send you the transcripts and show notes from every episode. Sign up now at understandingautoimmune.com now back to your host sharon saylor
3: welcome everyone to the autoimmune hour i'm sharon saylor from sharon and as always it's just an honor and a pleasure to be with you here on another brand new episode and we're going to talk about a topic you know we haven't gone into a lot but i think it's really important the last time we talked about Being a caregiver and our children having coming down with an autoimmune condition, was uh, Dr. Beth was Beth Mahoney and the Pans and Pandas, which, as you know, aren't technically autoimmune, but man, that was really eye opening on what it's like when your child has a diagnosis. So uh, maybe you remember Dr. Lisa Gear? She's awesome lady. She was on a few weeks ago. She introduced me to someone, and that's how this show works. You know, I think great people hang out with great people, right? And she introduced me to Karen Anthony, and uh, she's a nonprofit consultant and executive coach working with mission-driven organizations in human services, healthcare, education, social justice, and the arts. She also, like myself, this—that's like her <laughs> one world. But mm-hmm. she also has a blog called Any Way the Wind Blows, which covers issues related to caregiving and the grief for families raising a child with a significant medical condition. We can get into her bio a little bit more, but her bo- blog is published on Courageous Parents Network, and that's a platform for families and providers, and we'll have her talk a little bit about that, too, because that was awesome when I discovered that. And that's what this is All Immunos Hour is all about, is just discovering and the power of community when we uh, get together and share our knowledge. So welcome to the show, Karen. Thanks for uh, being here.
1: Thanks. I'm I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
3: Now, uh, when I first heard about your story, I was actually brought to tears. I cannot imagine what it's like to be on that side of it. I mean, I know I've personally experienced the autoimmune diagnosis myself and the grief involved in that. But gosh, if any of my kids was given a diagnosis like that, I don't know. So tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about your story because I, I don't know how one does that.
1: Uh, sometimes you just don't have a choice. You do what you do. What's put in front of you.
3: Um, <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> sort of
1: that, like, like our
3: like my and, diagnosis. You exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, this is this is where I'm needed. This is what I got to do. So my son Robbie. It started when he was. We we found out later in retrospect. It started when he was in middle school. He started having these very terrible migraines that went on for days, and he had them multiple times a month, and it went on for several years. So we started that sort of what's it like to have a chronic illness journey together with that of how do you find the treatment? What works in your daily life? What's my role as a parent? What's he in charge of? How do you make decisions? What's not working? How do you make changes? Lifestyle, the medical world, all of that stuff. They had promised us at the time, and we were well, promise is a strong word. They had told us it was likely at the time that he would outgrow this, and he did. Um, a couple of years later, he was actually diagnosed in a kind of an emergency format with something called antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, which is an autoimmune wow. illness.
3: Don't you just love those words? My, I would like you to say it again a little bit slower because mm-hmm. when I heard my diagnosis, i'd never heard the word i had no idea what it meant and it really didn't it just was like okay
1: yeah it's all one word right (laughs) Um, it's it's anti-phospholipid antibody syndrome so it is an illness where your body creates too many blood clots basically blood clotting ah. disorder he was diagnosed with this in 2012 he was away on a on a summer trip in colorado and he had this little bit of a cough, and he had some pain in his leg, and they took him. Before they were going to go on this rafting trip, the The counselor said, let's get you to the doctor and see whether this is anything. And at first, they thought it maybe bronchitis, or he pulled a muscle. And on closer examination, they found that he had blood clots in both his lungs and in his leg. Um, oh, my are, gosh. Those are often called deep vein thrombosis. Yes. Um, so... Um, and actually for a while there they thought he might have had one in his heart as well or near his heart as well so they air evacuated him from this teeny little clinic in the in the mountains in Colorado to Denver children's but I think it's now called Colorado children's and called my husband and me we were away celebrating our 25th anniversary which was obviously interrupted we got on a plane and went out there um, he didn't have a diagnosis before, we didn't know about this. This was just the emergency, you have blood clots in your lungs, that's very, those are often called pulmonary embolisms. Um, People have heard that term, very dangerous, people die from that. Uh, At the time my son was 16. So they stabilized him, we brought him home, did some testing and that's when they found the markers for what is often called APS, the antiphospholipid antibody syndrome. It is unusual in men. It's more pro- it's more prevalent in women. It's unusual in young men. It's unusual in the way it was presented for him. But they said, ah, it's a, you know, it's a chronic illness. It's Easy. We fix it with blood thinners. We do this. We monitor you. It's you know, it's a thing that you build into your life, and we'll be careful. Um, for for my son, the biggest problem was when you have a blood clotting disorder, they put you on blood thinners to
3: I can't imagine a sure. young person wanting to sit still and not get bruised,
1: well, yeah, um especially a young person who is playing soccer and is a fencer and is on his way to getting his black belt in karate, um, all of which oh, contact wow. sports are not allowed anymore, so he gave up everything except for karate um his His doctor, who was just wonderful, happened to be a black belt in- ta- in taekwondo and knew a lot about how to make a martial arts safe. So we worked really hard to give him something that was really important to him. Um, So that was kind of how it entered his life. And for a while there, it was like, this is disruptive. This has created some pain for him. Now there's all these testing and medical protocols and all these other risk factors of where it might go. But it was below the surface most of the time. And it didn't show you couldn't really see that he was sick. Um, Over the course of his high school years, he had some flare-ups that brought more clots, both to his lungs and to his leg. Clots tend to extend. So the clot doesn't often just go away. It can, it might break up. Um, Mm -hmm. So he had, he's hospitalized a number of times. And each time there was a little bit of residual pain, a couple of times the pain or the stamina issues were a problem enough that he was back to school in a wheelchair while he was rehabbing and eventually worked his way out of it. Um, By the time he graduated, he was doing really well and he finished his uh, black belt and he was ready to go off to college and he was going to Temple University in Philadelphia, uh, which was great. His sister was at Penn in the same city um, and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which is a world class. Place was right down the street. So my husband and I were thinking, okay, this is this is safe and okay, so we can do this. And he was a really excellent partner and advocate in his care, so we really trusted that he would do the things he needed to do with taking his medication and getting his testing done and watching out for the things that he needed to watch out for. Um, while he was at school, he had about one good semester, freshman year and second semester, the illness really accelerated and he had repeated episodes of clots that threatened his kidneys, that were more in his lungs, and the, the it, nothing was controlling it very well. Um, eventually, they started chemotherapy to try and suppress the immune response, which adds a whole other set of complications around that. Um, he really wanted to stay at school. People were saying to us, why don't you just bring him home? And for him, It was important that he was in his own life, that if he can do what he can do to be safe, then he wanted to go to school, he wanted to go to his classes, he wanted to be with his friends, he wanted to be independent. And as long as that was safe, we let him do that. Um, By early sophomore year, he had more flare ups and was back in the hospital. And the next round of meds that they put him on just made him not safe to be in in a congregate setting. Kind of mm-hmm. thing that we know now with the pandemic, that he's too exposed to lots of things. So he came home. Um, his, continue, his condition continued to deteriorate, and he eventually we started doing something called pheresis, which is kind of like dialysis. Where you take the blood, you take the blood out of the patient. They spin off the plasma. They give you donated plasma to try and prevent that immune response from from ramping up and, and creating all the clots. Um, But that was twice a week, weekly for seven months or so. And it really, it's just a physical taking out the bad stuff. It wasn't a cure for the illness. And the illness just continued to deteriorate, creating neurological problems and and all kinds of other things. And he died in July of of 2016 um, to a massive clot to his lungs. So that was kind of the trajectory of the illness along the way Um, this is, APS is not a fatal illness for most people. This is not what you hear. You hear it's a chronic illness. And occasionally it goes off the rails. Occasionally you have this uncontrolled response that um, becomes very dangerous. But all along the way, the doctors are saying, don't worry, you know, we would ask them directly, is he going to be able to be here for his 30th birthday? Is this life-threatening? And they're like, no, 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 I've seen this. We have another choice. We can try this out other thing, this other drug, this other therapy. So the uncertainty was very present, but there was not this looming um, idea of this being life-threatening as if you had gotten, you know, a brain cancer diagnosis where, you know, that's what this is. It really was more about, we don't know what this is going to mean in our life, and we don't know what's going to work, which is a hard thing for everybody to live with, for the, for the patient and for the family around them.
3: Oh, it is. It is. And I have to commend you because one of the things that you have done with this, with this, uh, the, the grief and loss is launch your blog. Anyway, the wind blows as well as, um, doing all your work around supporting caregivers and mm-hmm. helping people understand what, it, what does it mean mm-hmm. as a parent and so let's talk a little bit about what are some of the lessons, I guess is the right mm-hmm. word, or the tips that you would give a parent when maybe not that condition, but, you know, just given a, a, a life altering medical advice, a diagnosis for their child?
1: Well, that was, that was kind of the reason I started writing um, was because like anybody who's gotten the diagnosis, if you get illness part of your life, you learn things by the seat of your pants along the way. You figure out. <laughs> well, how the that's system... why I
3: started the auto right, <laughs> right,
1: right. So you figure this out. You know how to talk. You know how the difference between a resident and an attending, or you know who to talk to um, if you're inpatient, or you know how to phrase a question so you get a straight answer from a doctor, or you know how to understand complicated side effects, or what when to go to the doctor, when not. All that stuff you learn along the way. Um, and I had all this knowledge that I really wanted to pass along to somebody else.
4: With Lucky Lands Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky.
4: Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky?
0: The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumpaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Um, and I also had, because in my professional world, I'm a consultant, that means I know how to make problem solving and planning happen. And I understand how power dynamics work in a big system. Um, because I'm a coach, I have lots of really good communication skills and how to work with somebody one-on-one, even if they're having a, a difficult time. And I thought there's a confluence of that parenting experience and my personal professional stuff that just that's that's something that you can learn. You can get better at it. Everybody, you know, if they're if they're fortunate, you practice some of these skills and you can figure out how to how to get better at it. So I didn't want it to to just go away. Um, so I started writing and I started with, I remember I wrote one that was kind of a, who's the, who are the players? So if you go to the hospital for the first time and you don't know the difference between what a charge nurse is and what a floor nurse is, or you don't know what the, the social worker does versus the doctor does. So this was a, a little tip sheet of like, this is, this is what they do and this is who you should ask, what questions you should ask that person. So one of the first things is get a sense of who you're working with in the world that you're in know what their job is, because it happens when you're overwhelmed as a parent and, and as a patient too, I'm sure, that you just ask whoever the first person who walks into the room with you to, right. for, for stuff. Wait, I need the pain medicine's not working. I need to go up my pain medicine. But if you ask the wrong person, it'll take you four hours before someone can do something with it because there's an approval process that, that goes through and people have different, different authorities. So it's important to know who you're working with, and and to do that, um, it's really important to have some sort of understanding of what your what the illness is that you're working with, so that you know why things fit together as they do, and what the process, what that looks like, what the trajectory that might look like. I don't want anybody to go look ask Doctor Google what this is, because that's a terrible idea. But. Right. There are, there are places to learn about almost anything with, uh, on the internet. You can go find um, either a, a group that's dedica- dedicated to the disease, often there's foundations or, or members or patient associations or something. It's helpful to have that sort of understanding um, because that's how you know what the treatments are gonna be doing and what it means for your body and what side effects are and that sort of stuff. Um, and just giving all the authority away to somebody else to tell you what the science is, is, is tempting sometimes, because it's scary. And you just want to believe that there's people out there that'll make everything all better. But you need to be you need to be very present in that, I think.
3: One of the things I learned that was, for me was understanding the difference between the symptoms of the, the disease you have of the condition you have, versus the side effects of a lot of these medications. Yep. I started. I got cataracts. uh, You know, I can just go down this long list that are not on the disease side; they are on the side effect side. And I remember talking to the doctor. uh, I want to try something else, and they, I said, look, now they're all symptoms, and I would rather have the muscle weakness and the skin rashes than lose my eyesight and Mm -hmm. lose my short-term memory. You know, I'm just kind of going through these things that the medications do, and. That's where circling back around and knowing who, who, who does what and also having good communication with them is understanding that a lot of the doctors aren't totally aware of what these, some of the odd side effects are.
1: And and also, this is one big science experiment, um, yeah. at least that was my experience, you know. That's <laughs> my it, experience it, too. <laughs> they, they do have a protocol, they have a pathway that they kind of, is the typical trajectory and we try this and if that doesn't work, we try that. And before we go on, we maybe up the dosage up to this point and, you know, it can get very complicated, the more complicated your illness is if there's lots of different medications coming in at the same time. But understanding how much of this is the we know for a fact and how much of this is we're going to try something and we're going to see how it goes and we're going to measure it and we're going to watch the data and see is really important because sometimes you want to say i don't want to do this one anymore i don't like the side effects when my son was having the migraine problems he was on a lot of different kinds of medicine and it created tremendous side effects of brain fog and dizziness and Sleepy shoes and all kinds of come and and they were all about like you're saying they were all about the medication side effects and at one point we just said stop to everything because mm-hmm. he was so sick from the medicine that it, it didn't really matter if it was helping because it was his life was such a disaster in what we were trying to treat it with his APS the the medicine itself had some side effects but that was not that was not really what was powerful I say the other thing that that is specific to being a parent in in this circumstance is you know there's a lot of literature out there about being patient-centered or family-centered in care and i think that's really powerful and important Um, in a pediatric setting it's really common for the team to come into the room and ask mom how's your kid feeling and he's sitting right there ask him there you know there's a question and you can ask a 4 year old how they're feeling. You should there's a there's a temptation to di- to have that dialogue between the medical team and the parent or whoever whatever family member is there. And to redirect this so that the patient is at the heart of it is one of the main reasons that I wanted to do this because I felt like that was that was Robbie's most important thing is that he needed to be in charge and he should be in charge because it's his body it's happening to him. I'm the adult but it's happening to him. So I I would say literally those words. Well, this is happening to him. You should ask him.
3: Bravo for standing up. And here I am. I was senior adult. And it's so funny because you mentioned that recently I had two of my doctors who uh, had not met yet in the same room together. And Pretty soon I go, you do remember that I am in the room right here with you, yep. don't you? <laughs> yep.
1: yep, I've heard this from other people that as soon as you get in that bed or, on, you know, in that paper, paper nightgown, that all of a sudden, somehow your status seems to seems to take a step back. And it was really important to me that that didn't happen for him um, because that's what's right, but also because uh, it made him feel better he feeling like his world is out of control already because he has an illness. But if he comes in and now somebody's taking all his power away, that just makes everything feel worse. So there would be times, even when he was really sick, I would stand in a particular part, if he was, if he was inpatient, I'd stand in a particular part of the room so that the doctors would have to look past him to find me so that they would make eye contact with him. Because if I sat in another part of the room, they, would just, they wouldn't even look at in his direction. So I would go sit... In another part like right near the head of his bed because that's what you have to do and I would always ask him you know if they're going on rounds what do you want to do do you want to do you want to be part of the rounds or do you want me to do it because it's often early in the morning um, do you want me to stand outside and we won't wake you up and I'll tell you about it later and he would decide what does he want to be doing for that but it was really really important from his perspective and he's a teenager he was a young adult he had plenty of capacity to understand it. But I really just believe that you have this capacity, even in a young child, to greet the patient first, to talk to the patient first, as if their input is is just as important as whatever you're going to be discerning from an exam um, or from lab work.
3: I'm thinking of my young grandchildren, who are very tiny. And they know their mind. (laughs) (laughs) And luckily, they're being raised in a family where they're allowed to speak their mind, but they absolutely know what's going on for them, whether they stub their toe, how hard it hurt. And I know that's minimizing things. But just saying he absolutely knows what's going on for him.
1: And the idea of, you know, if you're going to touch someone, even a two year old, you should say, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to your heart now. Is it okay if I put this under your shirt? This is this is a perspective that's really important to me. And it's hard for parents to get into that space sometimes because parents get scared when their child is ill. Understandably, I was scared. And when you're a nervous parent worried about your child's well-being, it is normal and understandable to want to kind of clamp down and get tighter, closer, try harder. But it's the thing that your kid wants less. They don't want you to just come in and control everything. That's about that's about my anxiety. That's not about what's best for this child. So for me to let my child decide and talk about what's important and how much medicine do I wanna take and what limitations do I wanna live with, that's what's giving them the the strength to, to live every day with what it is that's so hard to live with. So learning how you do that, it's a normal parenting decision. Every parent goes through that developmental part of how much control do you let your kid have in deciding what they wear in the morning of what they're going to eat for breakfast, of whether they're going to do their homework and you're going to check it, or whether you're going to let them hand in crummy homework. But the stakes are higher when somebody's health is, 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 is in play. Um, but it doesn't mean that the philosophy is any different. You actually still need to be able to say, we're going to do this together. Um, and and we're, going to, we're going to decide together, and I'm going to listen to what you have to say about this. Um, it's what made it possible for, for my husband and I to feel good about our son going to college was we trusted his judgment. He knew how to do it because he'd been practicing all along. A while back, I did a training with um, a friend of mine who's an education consultant, and we did this training about for high school kids who were transitioning from high school to college, and all of them had some sort of physical disability or medical condition or that sort of thing and there were some kids in the room and there were some parents in the room and the kids were all about i wish mom and dad would back off and let me be in in charge of myself and the parents were all terrified of their kid going off to school and making a bad decision having a problem that they couldn't handle all of those things but you can't just wait until they're you're pulling out of the driveway with your car packed full of stuff to teach your child how to do that you got to let them learn that stuff along the way which is what you what you have that chance with it with a a younger teenager of let them do some things so that they know how to do it and then you trust them
3: yeah well and that's back to common parenting knowledge as you said but with higher higher a little bit higher stakes there we need Mm -hmm. to take a quick commercial break and when we come back we're going to talk some more with karen anthony because i just find this all important and let's say not so much even a child or parent i mean what if it's your spouse who you, you know you love just as much as your child and so uh, all her tips and, and information here go go across the board so we'll be right back
2: life interrupted radio will return after these messages from our sponsors it's great sponsors like these that keep this show coming to you every week Be sure and stop by LifeInterruptedRadio.com to learn more.
5: Your conscious lifestyle on steroids. OM Times Radio, IOM FM.
4: Hello, I'm Lisa Berry. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time for Light on Living, a chance to see new, hear different, and feel more as I shine the spotlight on all the ways to lighten the load of life's challenges. Light on Living is your link to that new way you're looking for, that new understanding that will enhance your life and that positive connection that will support your growth. So join me and you'll gain insight and start to see things in a new way that motivates you.
5: Om Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity, wellness, and personal empowerment, a philanthropic organization. Their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. OM Times. Co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. Listen and imagine.
0: It takes five seconds to send a text. And for those five seconds you're driving blind life is worth more than a text stay alive don't text and drive
1: visit stoptextstoprex.org a message brought to you by the national highway traffic safety administration project yellow light noise and the ad council
3: hi this is sharon and of course you know me from here on the autoimmune hour maybe you don't know i'm also an author my latest book is for kids it's Pinky Chenille and the Rainbow Hunters, a winner of a five-star reader's favorite review. It's perfect for your early reader and a great bedtime story for your young adventurers. Check it out over at PinkyChenille.com. That's P-I-N-K-Y-C-H-E-N-I-L-L E.com. See you there.
4: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to the Autoimmune Hour. We're here with Karen Anthony, and she is a nonprofit consultant and executive coach. And she's telling us her own personal story of her son, Robbie, and his I'll say introduction into a chronic condition and unfortunately he passed away in 2016 but Karen has carried on his legacy by sharing the things that she learned about how do you be a good caregiver and a good parent and also let them grow on their own and I think that is probably some of the hardest balancing act of all I know just a parent of A child without medical conditions, it's hard enough to wave goodbye as they go out the door for the first time to even ride a bike or something, Mm -hmm. but to be able to do that. Now, I'm curious about a few other things as you've continued to on this path here of continuing to share the message about what it's like to be a caregiver and a parent of a child with chronic conditions. Tell us the, the things you've learned about how it affects the dynamics of the whole family because I know you have a daughter and a, mm-hmm. a husband and uh, how does it affect the dynamics of the whole family?
1: You know, it's so hard. It is the other side of one of the things I wanted to, to write about and think about with this is that the whole family is involved in this. That's why that idea of patient and family-centered care, especially when you're talking about Um, a child. But I think it's true for any patient that their immediate family is pulled into the the orbit of of what's going on. And there really is no perfect answer for this. My daughter is um, now 27. So she was 23 when her brother died. And she was, she's three years older. And she's a very level-headed, thoughtful, sensitive person. And her deal was I want to be as low maintenance as possible. I want to stay out of the way. I want to be helpful and positive and not create any more drama than's already in our family. But that also means that there's a lot of energy that goes around the person who's sick and the person who's not can can miss out. I have feelings of regret about that, but It's not, they're not regret like, I think I did it wrong. I don't feel like I ignored her and didn't give her what she needed, but there's not, because there's not a way to give you equal time. You know, in in my estimation, fair is not equal. He needed more of us. He got more of us. She needed what she needed. We gave as much as we possibly could, Um, but siblings tend to be in the next concentric ring outside of what's in the middle which is the patient and the parents. The other part that I think is really powerful is, so for a while there, while my son was ill, I was working part-time trying to juggle. And then when it got really serious, I I left my job and I said, I can't do this anymore. I couldn't do the job well, and he needed me. Um, But during all that time, my husband had a full-time job that he was doing, and he was the one with the health insurance, and he was the one that was bringing the money that was paying the mortgage. And there's a real challenge to being the person who goes to work every day and has to compartmentalize enough to be able to not think about it every moment while he's there because you can't do your job if you're always worrying so you know our partnership was he trusted that that I could handle it we made decisions together and if I needed him I would call him but I I he could not be pulled into my world during the day because he couldn't stay in his world if he needed to be able to do that. Um, but that's really hard. He didn't want to be there. He wanted to be part of taking care of his family. He wanted to be present for his son and for us. And there were times when it was an emergency or a crisis where he would come and bring his laptop and hang at the hospital or work from home or something. But in general, even when things weren't great, he was still going to work every day, which was hard for him. And he also meant that he didn't know as much about what was going on in a day-to-day sort of setting, so maybe he wasn't up on every dosage of every medication, or he didn't know that what we were gonna be trying or doing or what Robbie needed from us in exactly the same way that I would. In that sense, it's, it's kind of like when you have a stay-at-home parent and a parent that's working. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's friction in that, and there's guilt on both sides um, in that. And I really respect what my husband had to do in order to take care of our family and we tried very hard to kind of divide and conquer. So he was the one going to work. He took care of all the medical bills. I took care of all the treatment and all all the other stuff from the home front. But, you know, we did not, we had more takeout than we usually do. We had more time watching movies instead of other things. The laundry piled up, all kinds of stuff happens because the family stuff, the time together was the most important. But the stuff that makes your family run well and efficiently, that's, that can fall by the wayside when things were, when things were messy and we just, we just kind of had to. I think the other thing is that uh, grandparents, our extended family was a big deal when, when my son was ill people want to give you a lot of advice and I'm sure that's true for adult patients and for your, your audience, right? (laughs) They, they, they hear you have X, Y, or Z and they go look it up and they find that Google says you should do this, or they looked up and saw that this is the best hospital for that, or here's the new treatment or the doctor you should go see. And it makes them feel better. They're not trying to be obnoxious. They're trying to say, I care about you. And here's this thing I learned that might help you. There's a way to do that. That asks whether you're interested. And and I hold my parents out to be a really excellent example of how do you do this. They they kind of held at bay all the people that they knew who were very invested in what was going on in my family, but they didn't want to tell me all of that. They kind of said, we trust Karen and and her and she's doing a great job. So thank you for your for your but they didn't they didn't pass all that stuff along. They were present, they were supportive they tried as best they could to not focus on the deficits and the obvious deterioration, but to just be positive and look for ways to be supportive. But that's really, really hard. Um, and people, people don't do that very well. Um,
3: yeah. One of the things I learned to tag along with that is with my own condition and I have adult children, was I was trying to be strong and things like that. Finally, a friend took me aside and said, you know, I know you're not sharing a lot because you don't want to scare them, Mm -hmm. yet they're actually more scared because (laughs) you're not allowing them to at least be aware of what's going on with you. And I thought that was really interesting, this dynamic of how much do you share versus how much do you not share to, you know, and this idea of, of not only protecting the person, but you know, the, as you said, those concentric circles out, it's, yeah. it's a fascinating dynamic to have to balance the entire community and be aware of what's, uh, what boundaries are important and which ones. Maybe aren't as important.
1: It was, it was easier to figure out if I decided that this, this, this boundary is less important. It was easy. You know, I like what's in my son's best interest. What's in my immediate family's best interest, anything else, I'm just not gonna feel that I just refuse to feel worried about about what your your hurt feelings if you didn't get whatever it is that you didn't get um, it is it is also I was very cognizant of the fact that this is my son's privacy so if he's not sharing this widely I don't share this beyond who he has given me permission to share this with and there were some of his friends that knew he had an illness because he would be in and out of the hospital sometimes, or he'd be in and out of touch. But many people who were surprised that he died because he had not shared the stakes that were, that were in play when he was that sick. You know, that was a hard balance to have. It was easier for me with a young adult because he could express himself. But with a younger child, you still want to be able to, that's another aspect of control that I feel like it's important for this child to have. So posting stuff on Facebook or sharing with everybody. And then it gets around the community that you want to make sure that you're doing that in a way that, that makes the person who it's happening to feel comfortable uh, because they don't always want that um, kind of attention and they're not, they're not ready to talk about it or they just want to be dealt with as if they're still their strong, regular self. And that's their choice, you know?
3: And that's a hard one to because so many times as the caregiver looking out when I've been in that role, it's getting support for yourself. And too often it's so easy to share, overshare on social media and you're feeling better with all your friends are, "Oh, poor you." Yeah. But it's really not about the situation or the person's privacy. It's 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 an interesting dynamic of, of what we share and what we don't share, especially in this world where it's so easy to yeah. overshare.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and you know, by doing that, you model for what other people are allowed to do. So if I put stuff out there, then that means the next person who reads it, some friend from college that I haven't seen in a long time, could also put something out and do that. And there are certain amounts of it that I'm happy to do, and I like that it gets shared widely, but it was never about my son's illness because that was not what he wanted to do. At this point now, sharing information, I'm happy to do. But again, it's not a, I don't want it to be about my feelings. I'm not looking for that that kind of energy, and that's That's a hard, that's a hard balance to strike. I think Um, you do want, you do. And the other thing that I think was important to me with with the writing was that um, after my son died, I started going looking to see, well, what's out there about caregiving and parenting and is there other stuff? And there's, there's the, the stuff I found was this sort of saccharine, saintly mother hero's journey sort of thing. And you see that for patients too. And it's so unrealistic. And it's it makes it. All, I found it like I don't I don't relate to that. I don't want to read it. That's not my style of communication. There's there's not as much humor in it. It's, it's I don't. That's not my thing. But more than that, it it makes you feel like you're supposed to be looking at this, um, in this angelic. I can take anything. I'm strong enough for everything. And if you if you ever have a bad day, a negative experience or feeling, but that's somehow wrong. And I really wanted to be able to share in a down-to-earth way so that people who go through the day where you still get mad at your, at your child, even if they're sick, they still act up, even if they're sick. <laughs> um, things go wrong in your family, even when there's a, something awful going on and figuring out how you, how you sort of make sense of all of that in the same place is important, but there's it's not easy to see that sort of thing because people tend to look back and they idealize that sort of mm-hmm. thing.
3: We need to take our final quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk some more with Karen Anthony about caregiving and uh, being the parent of a child with a chronic illness, and also her writing. I've got a blog post up here that I really want her to share with because, I, as she was talking about, I so related to, so we'll be right back.
5: Your Conscious Lifestyle on steroids. OM Times Radio. FM.
2: Change and growth are part of natural life and also part of your spiritual life. Everyone needs support and guidance, especially during life passages. Upgrade yourself with the OM Times Experts program. With OM Times Experts, you have access to the best intuitive coaches, spiritual teachers, counselors, astrologists, and oracles. Our team was carefully selected so you can trust... Find out more at experts.omtimes.com.
1: Grab a cup of tea or a glass of wine and tune in for Inspired Conversations with publisher Linda Joy on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Linda creates sacred space for leading female luminaries, empowering authors, heart-centered female entrepreneurs, coaches, and healers. A soulful venue where guests Openly share the fears and obstacles they've overcome, wisdom and lessons learned, and the personal journey that led them to the transformational work they do in the world. Inspired conversations to empower you on your path to authentic, soulful living. Research shows we apologize up to 10 times a day, and most of the time, we say sorry as a response
4: to someone else's mistake. What if?
1: We thanked people instead of all that unnecessary apologizing. So instead of saying, sorry, I'm rambling, you say, thank you for listening. Join us at ProjectForgive.com, a free non-religious resource on global
4: forgiveness.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to the Autoimmune Hour, and I'm here with Karen Anthony, and she is an executive coach and a nonprofit consultant, as well as the author of Any Way the Wind Blows, which covers issues related to caregiving and grief for families raising a child with a significant medical condition. She lives in Silver Spring, Maryland, and serves as the chair of the Patient and Family Advisory Council for Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C., along with many, many other things. So... Karen, I know writing was a very important way for you to um, make meaning, if I can use those words of everything that you and your family went through. And you're still continuing to write. And in fact, one you wrote not too long ago was about the unexpected, let's see if I get unexpected echoes of the coronavirus concophony. Mm -hmm. And I so related to that. So many people would call up and be, Extremely worried, and that, in a way that was nice. You know, thank you for that. H- however, it was sort of like welcome to my world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been doing this w- worried about the, <laughs> the common cold for seven or plus years. You know, and um, I thought that was interesting how you were really making meaning about the things that you learned during that time of that 2012, uh, 15 uh, at times and we're able to show people that, look, we go through layers of this in our world, whether we're dealing with a diagnosis or not.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the, the sight of the hand sanitizer pump by the front door and the, all that stuff, um, that, that definitely was a part of our world when my son was going through chemo um, because that was suppressing his immune system and it was a part of it. Um, and then the other thing, so there's all those, those trappings, all those physical things that were part of it. But the thing that really sparked that idea was that were the feelings that my husband and my daughter and I experienced. Um, if you can remember back to the dark ages of March, of that sense of urgency and looming bad thing hanging out outside there. That's the feeling that I remember when my son's illness would flare up, that feeling of something bad, something dangerous. I don't know how to prevent it. Is it gonna harm someone I, I care about? And I'd be willing to bet that other people who've been through different sort of crises in their in their own health, that you can have that, you have that same sense and it feels terrible. It's incredibly disruptive. It just boosts your anxiety. It's, it's hard to live with. It, on the other hand, if you've done it, then you know, kind of how to, to, to sort of float along with it and, and, and deal with it a little bit too.
3: I don't want to say I ever normalized it, but when I was jokingly saying to my friends who didn't think it was all that funny, I said like, well, welcome to my world. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say I normalized it, but develop coping skills to like, okay, right. that's just, if I'm going to go out and have, live the life I have and live it to the fullest extent I can possibly live it, these are the choices that I have to make
1: so you mentioned you mentioned the patient and family advisory council at, at children's which is which is work I'm really proud of because it looks at the hospital systemically at the policies and the practices at a, a whole system and on that council there's a couple of dozen parent advisors as well as staff advisors and we've been talking about what are we doing in covid and what's happening in covid and many of these parent advisors are, parents who have a child with a really complex kind of condition. And I'm thinking one in particular whose daughter had a heart transplant. So Mm. they live with this circumstance automatically. This is already what they do because her immune system is suppressed. But now she's even more isolated. She hasn't seen her grandchild for a long time because of this. And so people who have, have a complex illness or just some other risk factors in some ways, they definitely have coping skills. And in other ways, they're more at risk now because that's a really, you know, COVID's really dangerous. Not that a, that a cold or the flu is not dangerous to someone with a compromised system, but this illness walks in is already more dangerous. And so there are pe- I, the sense of isolation that I have, because I don't get to see my friends and visit my family the way I would normally, is really powerful for people with, with an illness and much, much harder um, to, to deal with. So that's I really have an appreciation for that
3: oh, absolutely, and it's and also the unknown no at this point we're yeah. at this point where it's gone on long enough that I think the majority of us are saying, "When is this going to end in a very real way, and then realizing that we may not even be halfway through this if or maybe it's a life altering thing for. For the foreseeable future. So it's an it's an interesting time that we're in. We're down to the last nine minutes. I wanted to make sure that you share any final thoughts that you have that you'd like to share with it on the topic because I think it's an important topic that I haven't covered enough on the show, as well as where people can learn more about you and your work.
1: I want to talk about a little bit about the name of my blog because I think it kind of gets at the philosophy. I call it any way the wind blows which for people of a certain age, you might remember it's, it's a line from Bohemian Rhapsody from the Queen song, Um, (laughs) which, which was among my son's favorites. Um, He loved Queen. That was his favorite band. Um, And when I was thinking about what I, what caregiving was like, I was thinking about it like you picture a tree and that it has deep roots because it's really grounded. That's what, and the, and the trunk are like the concentric rings that you grow that's your experience and then the branches of a good strong tree have space between them so that the wind can blow through and that they're flexible when 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 things push against it and that was kind of the philosophy that I, I wanted to be able to impart for people as they read about what it's like to be a parent and a caregiver is that yes you're you're you need, you need the right structure, you need to use all your experience, but you gotta know what to let blow by and what to bend with, and then when you need to be tough and strong for that. I think it's really, that, that mix of things is really important and powerful. Um, and then I wanted to also be able to share um, Courageous Parents Network a little bit. This is an organization that I found, not, because, not when, when my son was sick, but they do great work for people who are in this role of dealing uh, with a child with a serious illness. The platform has videos, it has printed materials and all kinds of things to do with the, the ideas around diagnosis, around treatment um, and around engaging with the providers, around worrying about family and coping things with family. So there's lots of different, those that, that wisdom that I was saying that you gather by the seat of the pants. CPM was started by a woman who lost a child to Tay-Sachs. And had watched actually horribly her nephew die within a year before her daughter was diagnosed with Tay-Sachs. So she had the benefit of seeing a family member go through this and then looking at that collective wisdom. So they created this platform that is, this is the collective wisdom of parents. And here are ways that you can explain things. Here are ways that you can deal with grief. Here are ways that you can understand clinical trials. Here are ways that you can talk effectively with a provider. Um, and that's that's a really useful tool so that, which is why my blog fits in well there, because the blog is meant to be the voice of someone who would live to experience. Um, I really respect that they also do engage providers because that the best way for providers to learn about the patient experience is to really partner with them and not just kind of stay in their own lane. This is a way for them to kind of mix the lanes a little bit and collaborate so people can find more information about that work on courageousparentsnetwork.org. And there's multiple ways in. You can watch the videos, you can do the path you, pathways, you can download materials. There's there's plenty of tools and tips and templates there that I think are really valuable. And then you can find my blog there. And then I also do publish it on Medium as well. And just look for any way the wind blows, and you'll find you'll find my stuff there.
3: Mm. Well, thank you so much. That's really powerful. And thank you for sharing about the Courageous Parents Network. I think that's really important, because the more people feel as they're part of a community, Mm -hmm. uh, and as we were talking about earlier, as you mentioned, getting quality information, not uh, scary information or misleading information is critically important, whether we're the caregiver or the patient ourselves. So thank you so much for sharing that. And everyone, this, that we've been talking with Karen Anthony, and we'll have the websites up on the blog, uh, Understanding Autoimmune. So you guys, if you're busy or whatever, you can Check it out there, find out where those sites are. And so thank you very much, Karen, for being part of the show. It was so insightful today. I really appreciate everything that you shared. It's a topic that I honestly say I haven't covered enough and uh, really help people understand that there's a deeper, uh, more... I love the vision of the concentric circles Mm -hmm. as you were talking about it and understanding that when there's a diagnosis, it's, it's not just that party of one. So thank you so much for being on our show.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to, to share some of my, my ideas and experience.
3: Uh, absolutely. So everyone, have a great week, whatever your adventures, and join me next week for another brand new episode. Enjoy.
2: The information provided on the Autoimmune Hour, Understanding Autoimmune and Life Interrupted Radio, including the websites understandingautoimmune.com and lifeinterruptedradio.com, plus social media is for educational purposes only. What you read, hear, and see on the Autoimmune Hour, Understanding Autoimmune and Life Interrupted Radio, and its websites, and other media outlets is based on experience only. The information should never be used for any legal, diagnostic, or treatment purposes. Always seek sound legal, medical, and or professional advice regarding any problems, conditions, and any of the recommendations you see, hear, or read. Here on the Autoimmune Hour, Understanding Autoimmune and Life Interrupted Radio.
3: Take the next few moments now to get comfy. Move about all those little nooks and crannies. Shake your fingers and your toes. Making sure every little bit gets comfy right now. Hmm. Take some nice, deep inhales, and extend the exhales, letting it go with a sigh. Hmm. That's right. The vibration of the sigh actually shakes loose all those internal nooks and crannies, so just take some nice, deep inhales and exhales, and let it go with a sigh. Hmm. When you're ready, wander over to your favorite spot, you know the place, where you enjoy all the colors, savor all the smells, play with the colors and the textures, just looking all around and relaxing deeper, that's right, letting go of all the stresses of the day, Mm. Taking a moment to enjoy your little mini vacation here. That's right. Feeling the breeze on your face and savoring the smells as you delight in the colors dancing about. Continue to breathe deep, letting go of all the stress in your body knowing that you don't need the stress, that it's not serving a purpose, so let it go. Transform any little last inklings to a feeling of comfort and tingling. Enjoy the little tingles as it releases and let it go. That's right. Savoring and anchoring this moment this place this comfort with a little roadmap marker in your mind knowing that you can come back here any place anywhere anytime and reactivate the stress-free moments to begin again Renew and refresh as you begin to come back to the present moment, awake, alert, and ready to begin your day again. (sighs) That's right. Welcome back.